Good morning, Harmony. I see this side of the room is warm and, and this side is cold. We're divided by the fans today. We're Harmony, folks. Harmony, okay? Not disharmony, all right? Come on. How are y'all doing this week? Hey, not bad. You guys, you guys sounded pretty good clapping today. I was pretty proud of you guys. Normally when I hear clapping, I'm like, oh, no. But you guys, you guys are pretty in unison. I'm proud of you guys. You're getting better. It's only taken five years. Um, at this pace, when I retire, you guys will sound really good. Yeah. You know? uh, a couple things before we jump into the series. Uh, first is, is after service today, we're going to have our first meeting to discuss Fall Fest. Uh, so Fall Fest is what we like to do on Halloween. Uh, to provide a safe family, uh, you know, safe family environment for kids to come and trick or treat, um, something that's going to point them uh, towards a safe environment, a place where they know they're, they're taken care of, where parents don't have to be worried, and then also gives us an opportunity to shine the light of Christ in what can be a dark evening for some folks with their focuses. Uh, Holly has graciously stepped up and decided to lead that for us, so she's got some really great plans. Uh, if you're interested in helping in any way, shape, or form, please attend or stay for that meeting. It'll probably only be about 15-20 minutes, but just kind of kick off, give you the vision, let you know what's out there. What we're really trying to do well this year, guys, is break it down so that there will be shifts, so no one is working the whole night, uh, but everybody can take a little chunk and we'll be able to put together a really good event. So if you're willing to stay for that, uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, I think we're going to have a great time. She's got a great vision for it, and so I'm excited about what we'll be able to do for the community on that night. So that's after church today. And then the second thing is with school starting, uh, we're always a little bit behind, but in the beginning of October, kids will move up in their classes. So we have three classes back in Children's Church right now. Um, I'm not going to try to do the ages because I always forget them. It's um, 18 months to three, under three, three to under five, and then five to some age. I don't remember where. But if your kids at any one of those junctures, just check the rooms when you go back there today. The first weekend of October, they will be promoted up uh, to their new classes. And I know we have about three or four that will be promoted up. So just start setting expectations with them. There will be a few that are coming into the sanctuary for the first time. And so uh, we'll make sure we want to say hi to those guys and welcome them to Big Church, as they like to call it. Um, I try not to think that's about my weight. I think that's just because we're taller. I think so. All right, so let's go ahead. We are going to be in our second sermon on this series called Call to Excellence. And, and let me just kind of set the table for you again. My focus with this series is, is that some of us, well, I'll just be honest, I think a lot of us, we are paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck people, and we are paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck Christians. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, what we mean when we say someone's paycheck-to-paycheck, paycheck, what we mean about them is they don't think about long-term game plan. They don't think about retirement. They don't think about what they want to save for. They don't think about trips. It is everything they have just to get from this payday to the next payday. Everything is about survival. Just getting by. And while that's okay for all of us at junctures in our life to have that mentality, when it comes to our faith and our relationship with God, that is not how you and I are supposed to be. We are not supposed to be the kind of people who are just looking to get by. And the reason for that is when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our God, 
He is not a God that is limited. He is a God without limits. So when we talk about His power, when we talk about His knowledge, when we talk about His love, when we talk about His wisdom, when we talk about anything and everything that God can provide, there's no limits. It's the beautiful thing about having an insatiable hunger to know more about God. You will never, ever reach the moment where you go, you know what? I think I'm done. I think I've learned it all. In fact, strangely enough, the more I learn, do you know what I realize? How stupid I am. <laughs> I'm just going to put it bluntly. Like, I don't realize, like, oh, I'm wise now, but there's so much more. No, I'm like, you're an idiot. I sometimes look back and go, I don't know why they were letting me preach five years ago. I mean, I, I have a one sermon I listen to occasionally from like 10 years ago, and I'm like, oh, Luke, no, no, stop, stop, what are you doing? And I thought it was good back then. But I just keep learning and learning and learning, and I realize, man, I am never going to reach the moment where I go, got it all. I've mastered it. It doesn't happen. And so if our God is unlimited, if our God is boundless, then when it comes to the spiritual things of our lives, you and I should not find that we barely have enough. We should find with God we have an abundance. Amen. We should have with God that we are planning on not just how do we survive, but how do we literally change the world. And I think there's a mentality when you're paycheck to paycheck where you start to become so self-focused. Right? Because you're like, I'm barely making it. How can I help somebody else? I mean, have you ever lied to yourself? Like, when I have more time, when I have more money, when I have more energy, when I have more of this, then I'll do these things. Then I'll serve. Then I'll give. Then I'll participate. And then do you ever realize, you look back and realize it's been like four years and that date hasn't come? Like, have you ever experienced that moment where you get the pay raise you've been looking for for a long time and then like three months later you realize you're still broke? And you told yourself like when you got this raise it was going to be a game changer. It was going to solve everything. And now here you are, you have the new job, you have more money, and you're still going, I'm broke. How'd that happen? What I don't want us to be as Christians is paycheck to paycheck Christians. I don't want us to be the type of people who our mind is only on survival. We need to be the kind of people that are so intimate in our relationship with God that we are having our vision continually expanded to look at things beyond ourselves. To look at things of true and amazing excellence. And I'll be real with you, I think for a lot of us in our lives, there's not a lot of things we would call excellent. I don't think there's a lot of things in our lives that we would go like, this is the most amazing thing in the entire world. But like, how many of you have that feeling when you see your car? Most awesome car ever. I bet most of you pray every time you start your car. <laughs> Please, God, just let it turn on one more time. One more time. Just one more time. I went to go visit my buddy the other day and I was like, I'm that guy that drove into your neighborhood and they're like, who let that car in here? Is that like a maintenance guy or, you know? We, we, we don't often have these things, but what we do is we have a God that takes the common people of the world and he gives them the opportunity to live in excellence.
excellence. Amen. And so what I want to challenge you guys is stop settling. Stop settling for the little things. Stop settling for the easy things. Stop settling for the mediocre. Stop settling for just getting by. And really sit down with your God and go, Father, what do you want to do with me? Where do you want to take me? How do you want to use me? Many of you, you are the limiter in your life. God is not. In fact, almost every single time God encounters His people in the Bible, when He tells them the vision He has for them, it is so much bigger than their own. Right? God shows up to Moses and goes, you are going to set my people free. And Moses is like, me? I'm a loser in the middle of the wilderness. I, I, I can't even talk without stuttering. And God's like, no, you aren't. I shaped you. I built you. You're going to lead my people like no one else ever has. Remember, my favorite, I think, of all is Gideon. God shows up to Gideon and he goes, mighty warrior. Like, one, how cool is that, right? Can you imagine, like, the first time you're face-to-face with God, he's like, mighty warrior. That's right. That's right. You know, I'm more fearful that when the first time I'm face-to-face with God, he's going to be like, fatty, off the couch. Let's go. Instead, he shows up, he looks at Gideon, and he goes, mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, me? He goes, dude, I am the weakest guy in the weakest family, in the weakest clan, in the weakest nation in the world. Mighty warrior. I am the biggest wimp you've ever met. In fact, you're addressing me as I'm hiding from people. Mighty warrior. And God looks at him and goes, oh, you don't know who I am, do you? Son, I'm the one that built you. I'm the son that made you. I'm the one that knows exactly what you are. And so for you and I, what we need to realize is God speaking to you about your purpose, your path, and your plan has much bigger dreams than you do. So sometimes you've got to learn to shut up and listen to what God is calling you to and realize that He has a much bigger plan for your life. I'll be honest, one of the things I, I hate most about what's happened in the modern church is there's this, uh, what we call seeker mentality. And so a lot of churches have adopted this mentality where they say, hey, everything in your service, everything you talk about, should be brought down to the lowest level. It should be taught to someone who has never heard of the Bible, doesn't know anything about Christianity. Bring it as low as possible so it's easy for everybody to understand. I hate that. I hate that because it it doesn't make sense to me because that's not the way you fall in love with things. Like, no one goes to a three-year-old soccer game and goes, this is a beautiful sport, tell me more. You go to a three-year-old soccer game and you're like, what is this? This is chaos. And you would go, well, it's the simplest form of it, right? I mean, basically, at that age, you're just like, go that way, that way. Don't use your hands, no hands. Go that way. In fact, if you guys ever want to have fun watching me be ridiculous, come watch me coach Jake's team. Because half the time, it's me sprinting beyond them, standing in front of our own goal and going, No! The other way! (laughs) Amazingly, people watching this don't fall in love with the game of soccer. Yet, they watch a Lionel Messi play, and even though they may not know any of the rules, they go, What is he doing? That's pretty cool. I need to learn more about this. Right? 
most people fell in love with someone playing the guitar. It wasn't, you know, a third grader in elementary school. It was Jimi Hendrix. And they're like, what is that? You can make that machine, make that noise? Oh my goodness. When people look at you and your faith and your relationship with God and what we discuss, do they sit here and walk in and go, oh, that's it? That's pretty simple. Or they walk in and go, man, I don't know everything you're talking about, but I am so intrigued because you guys are just performing and living in a different place than me. Amen. It doesn't really make sense to me. I have a million questions about this. But my goodness, you guys are doing something different. And I need to learn more. Amen. Is that the kind of intrigue that we build in our lives? people look at us and go, you're doing something so strange to me, so different to me, but so out there and cool. i got to be part of that. i got to know more. And we simplified it down so much that this is just like a boring walkthrough. No excitement, no energy, no passion. Right? I want to see people who are all in. And so through this series, we're going to talk about three things. The first is excellence is of the Lord. And this is a huge part, guys, because there's a lot of people in this world who pursue excellence. But there's a huge difference between those who pursue it in themselves and those who pursue it in Him. In Him looks like this, John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. What's Jesus' point? You can do nothing of value without Him. Let me say that again. You can do how much? You can do nothing of value without Him. Do you believe that? I'll be honest, I struggle with that. I struggle with that because sometimes I actually think I'm good at stuff. I'll be honest, sometimes I'm tempted to go, Luke, you can figure this out. Luke, you can work your way out of this. You can think your way out of this. You can talk your way out of this. And you know what I really had to come to terms with? Look, you can do little stuff, Luke, but it's not real value. Everything that you could ever accomplish in your life, maximizing your talent, would disappear within a tr without a trace within years of you being gone. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. We recently had um, at work my boss's boss, who is a big executive, got fired. It's three weeks later, and you know what we realized? The department's functioning exactly the same as it was three weeks ago. This guy was unbelievably talented, went to Harvard, had done amazing things in his career, one of the smartest people you'd meet, uh, charismatic, great speaker, great leader, and we've replaced him and filled in for him like that. I'm like, if that can happen to him, my goodness, how quickly would they forget I'm here? By lunch, they'd be like, Luke, who? I don't remember that guy. If we do things in and of our own power, they can never accumulate to anything of value. Our excellence has to come from God. And notice, he says, don't abide in my rules. Don't abide in my religion. Abide in me. It's about an intimate relationship with God. That is where it starts. 
And I'll tell you the honest to goodness truth, the thing that keeps me up most nights is that I don't know how many people who are the church are here for him versus who's here for what he has. I think a lot of people are here because they go, I think God has the magic silver bullet to solve the problem in my life. I don't know how many of them are here because they go, I don't care if he can solve it or not. I'm here for him. I just need to be where he's at. He is the answer. He is the solution. I don't care if I live with these problems for the rest of my life as long as I live them with Him. I think we have turned God into the big genie in the bottle and we act like if we behave and obey some rules we don't really understand, then He owes us and maybe He'll make some things happen in our lives. And the reason I think that is, it's how we pray, it's how we think. I've done it myself. I've sat there before and been like, God, really, this is how this is going to play out for me? But God, I do this, and God, I do that, and God, I try, and God, I read your word, and God, I do this, and I do that. Like, doesn't that add up to something? And he's like, yeah, idiot, it adds up to you being my child. But do you think you're going to sit here and you're going to lay out your achievements for me and I owe you? You think that's how it works? Our excellence isn't of us, it's of him. We have to remember that. Because brothers and sisters, why I'm going to hamper on this point so much is, this is the difference between being a faithful disciple and being a Pharisee. The Pharisees chased excellence, but not in the Lord. And they became the enemies of God. They wanted to be better than everybody else. They wanted to be the smartest, the most put together, the wisest, the sharpest, the richest, the most impactful. But they did it in their own might. And when God showed up in human form, they didn't even recognize Him. Because they got arrogant in what they were pursuing. That can't be us. We will be excellent, but it doesn't come from us. It comes from Him. Amen. It comes from Him. Second, we pursue it. We go after it. Right? We don't wait for it just to fall at our feet. We go after excellence in our lives. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. What are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your heart with? Parents, what are you filling your kids' hearts and minds with? What are you teaching them to pursue and to go after? Is it money? Is it power? Is it fame? Is it popularity? Or is it God and His service? What are we chasing after in our lives? And if you don't know the answer to that question, I'd ask you to just sit down, take 15 minutes, and go look at how you spent your time this week. Forget your words. Go, go look at how you spent your time this week. Where did you put it? Because your time is the most precious thing you have. And if we can look back at our week and go, I barely gave any to the Lord. 
but I gave a bunch to all these other things. That says something about our lives and what we're pursuing. What are we going after? And I told you before, I think a lot of us in our immaturity, when we first come to God, we are so set in a sinful environment. We're so set in a sinful world that we're like, how can I just step out of this? Just like, get me out of there. Which is a great first step. It's a fantastic first step. Get out of that sinful environment. But you can't stop right there. You then go, man, if holiness is there, I am running at that with everything I got. I want to be as far away from this sinful culture as I possibly can. But some of us, we take that one step out, and in fact, we don't even do that. Like, we got one foot in, one foot out. And we just stay there forever. And God's calling us, going, come to me, my child. Come to me. Follow me. I have so much more waiting for you. But you won't come. We've got to chase after this. So the excellence comes from Him and He requires intent and desire in our actions. Third thing, it's for Him. Okay, so not only is it of Him, not only do we put our effort for it, but this is never so you and I look great. This is never so people go, man, you're amazing. You're awesome. This is so people go, your God is amazing. I told you last week, I want people to be dumbfounded by what God was able to do with an idiot like me. I want people to be like, I don't know how God used that guy to do those things. It shouldn't be possible. It should be literally impossible to do those things that have happened with this person. That's how I want people to feel. I want it to be so obviously clear. It's not about our talent. It's not about our ability. It's not about our work ethic. It's about our God. One of my favorite, favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. Because whenever they talk about Joseph being amazing, they go, and they knew that his God was with him. But every time people talk about his success, they don't go, man, Joseph's just the smartest. He's just the bravest. He's just the wisest. He's just the most courageous. They go, he's great because his God's with him. Every time. Every single time. And so that has to be our focus. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And that includes yourself. You're not doing these things for anybody else besides Him. How you talk, how you work, how you raise your children, how you live your life, how your marriage is run, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, all of it, it's for Him. It's for Him. So let's look at a couple things here. Come with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives us the essence of what our relationship with Him is supposed to be. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. What is Jesus' point? His point is, if you want the things of the Spirit, you don't chase after the things of the Spirit. You chase after Christ. I told you before, a lot of us, right, we come here because we've identified a problem in our lives. We've identified a gap or an issue or some obstacle or some struggle we personally have and we go, I can't do this. I can't beat this. I need help. And so we come to God and often what we do is we chase after that thing we're missing. Right? I need more patience. I need to control my anger. I need to control my lust. I need to be more righteous. Right? We, we, we pick these things we want and we chase after those. And what Christ is trying to say to us is stop chasing my stuff. Come after me. Amen. You don't get peace by chasing peace. You get peace by chasing Jesus. Amen. You don't get power by trying to be more bold. You get power by humbling, falling at the feet of Jesus Christ. Amen. The answer to every single problem you are facing is Him. That's what you got to go after. And so many of us, we don't do that. I remember as a child, um, there was always a big dilemma in our house about whether you wanted to ask dad for help. Now, my dad is an, uh, was an engineer, and then he's a finance guy now, so he's a very analytical individual. And so when I started getting into like higher math, like you know, AP, biology, or physics, or you know, chemistry, or you know, these different things, I, I would run out of the limit of my ability sometimes, and I'd be staring at this problem like, I need help. But I didn't want to go to my dad. Because you know what my dad wouldn't do? He wouldn't just give me the answer. Right? Like I'd be staring at the paper and all I wanted was to walk upstairs for him to look at it and be like, X is 3X. Three, three right? That's it, dude. Just, it's X is 3. That was not going to have you. It was how it worked with him. With him, it was going to be like, well, let's take a step back. All right? Let's talk about what chemistry is from the very beginning. <laughs> Dad, I don't want to take a step back. I just need to know, does this equation balance? No, 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 no. And he would walk you through all of it. He'd walk through, why, why would you even need to solve a problem like this, Luke? I don't know, because my teacher told me to. <laughs> and I knew investing time with him was not going to, I'd get the answer. But it was probably going to take 45 minutes to get there. Now, what's funny now is my mom still does this with uh, Bible lessons now. So she'll be like, I know I could ask your father, but I just wanted the quick answer. I'm reading this verse. What do you think? <laughs> to, to this day, 
like regularly, like three times a week, I will get a text from my mom that's like, quick question. <laughs> and then she always says, I know your father knows the answer, but I just didn't have time to ask him. <laughs> and so sometimes what I need you to realize about that, when I share that, that's us with Christ. Like, Jesus, I just want patience, man. That's all I want. I just want to be a little bit more patient. And he's like, I'm going to make you more patient. This is how we're going to do it. Amen. And we're like, no, no, that's not how I want to do it, though. I just, can you just give it to me? Can, you, can we just cut to the chase and you just give me what I'm asking for? No. He's got to be what we go after. Amen. He is the answer. And so... so I challenge you this time. Just think about yourselves. If I were to ask you what is the deepest desire of your heart, if I could give you the thing you want most right now, would it be Him? But the number one thing on your list that you desire more of is more Him. Or are there other things you're chasing instead of Him? A lot of us, the number one thing we desire is not to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. It's stuff that we hope God can give us. And I can just tell you now, if that's how your list works, that is a terrible path for you. You will never be fulfilled in that. You remember that loser I was talking to you about in the wilderness who was like, Jesus, our God, you could never use me. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wanderer in the desert. I stutter. There's no way. I want you to look at something with him because this guy changed from being an 80-year-old. And, and note this, right? When we talk about Moses' character changing, we're not talking about like an 18-year-old who all of a sudden ran into a great mentor and then by the time he was you know, 30 was like this unbelievable force to be reckoned with. Moses is 80 when God shows up to him. Moses is 80 years old. He is a stranger in a foreign land. That's what he names his child. He's a shepherd in hiding. He's wanted in his homeland. He has zero self-esteem, zero confidence at 80. And the reason I stress that is it's different to, to not believe in yourself for like two years, three years, four years. It's another thing to not believe in yourself for 80 years. Like I told you guys this before, like every year that I still need 20 more pounds to lose, I'm actually farther away than I was the year before. Because it's different to be like year one of needing to lose 20 pounds versus year 10 of needing to lose 20 pounds. And year one, you convince yourself like, yeah, I, you know, I'll get the Bowflex and after 30 days, I'll be looking good. Right? After 10 years, you're like, there's nothing that can help me. I've done every diet. I've bought every machine. I've tried every workout plan. I've only gained weight, folks. There's no way this is going to happen. So for 80 years, for Moses to be sitting there basically looking at himself and going, I'm a loser. That's what I am. Like, that's just the facts. And like, if you want to know how much Moses believes in that, he believes in it enough that he will stand toe-to-toe with God and go, God, you're wrong. I'm a loser. Like we always confuse self-esteem with, with the ability to be arrogant. But no, you can be arrogantly low self-esteem. That's Moses. God standing before him, the creator of the universe, in a miraculous form going, you are going to free my people. And Moses goes, no, I'm not. I know who I am better than you do. 
I'm a loser, I can't accomplish anything, and that's not going to change. If you stand toe-to-toe with God and tell him he's wrong, you're arrogant. And that's what Moses does. But through this journey, this guy changes. He changes unbelievably. And what's interesting is, is we don't really see any lessons specifically from God to Moses. Like We don't really see God sit down with Moses and go like, Moses, we're going to work on this. Moses, we're going to work on this. And so you start asking yourself, how does he change? How does this guy become so different from what he was? And the answer is right here in Exodus 33. Flip over there with me. Exodus 33, 7-11. Now you should remember this because we spent like the first 22 weeks of 2018 in the book of Exodus. But in chapter 33, verse 7, it says this. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to that tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of the tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, worship each at the entrance. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. How does Moses change? Moses changes because of all the people in Scripture, Moses is the one guy who has a friendship with God. Every day, Moses just goes and spends deep, intimate time and conversation with the Lord. Regularly. Just sits down and talks to God. How Moses changed is Moses spent time with the Lord. Being with the Lord changed him. And think about it. That makes all the sense in the world. How many of you have seen someone in your life change because of a relationship? Right? They fall in love. They meet someone that they're crazy about. And just like osmosis, right? Just like being in their presence, they start to become somebody different. happens because they're in these people's presence and the love that they have for them just gradually starts to change them. Well, let's be honest. If that happens with regular human beings, how would that not happen with God? I mean, every time I see Chewie in that car with, with, the, with the neon green with the leopard print like window shade, I'm like, there's no way if we met Chewie 30 years ago, he would be driving that. <laughs> got these women in his life that he loves like crazy and what have they done to him? They've changed him. And as amazing as those women are, God is perfect. If you spend all of your time in the presence of the most powerful being in the universe, of the most loving being in the universe, of the wisest being in the universe, guess what that does to you? It reshapes you. It changes you. It makes you something different. 
Moses went from being a man who was so convinced he was a loser, he would argue to God about it, to becoming one of the most influential people in the history of mankind. People who don't even believe the Bible won't even argue you that Moses is one of the greatest historical figures of all time. And how? By being in the presence of God. By being in the presence of God. And so that's, I, I just need to challenge you. Like, how much time this week did you spend in the presence of God? When's the last time you carved out a day and you said, this is my day for him? I'm not talking about you at church on Sunday morning. I'm talking about you saying, this upcoming Saturday, eight hours, me and God, by ourselves, no one else. When's the last time you went on a date with God? Forget a day. You just said the next three hours are His. His alone. I will be with no one else. I will be buried in His Word. I will be buried in prayer. I would be buried in His presence. And I want nothing else to pull me out of that. I just need to be with Him. When's the last time? People who change, people who become excellent, people who get used by the Lord, they continually do this. And notice there's a difference, right? There's a difference between being with Him and just being in His way of life. Like I already called to this, but if you look at like Luke 18, the Pharisees, they knew this book better than anybody. Most of these guys could recite almost all of the Torah from memory. Like forget pulling out a, a Bible verse, right? Imagine like you're just like, book of Genesis, go. And they just start going through the whole thing by memory. See, there's people who fall in love with the philosophy of Christianity. They fall in love with its rules, with its ethics, with its way of life. But even in doing that, they can completely and utterly miss God. It's the greatest irony of all mankind that the Pharisees, the people who had poured themselves into the Word of God, literally when Jesus shows up, God in human form, you would have guessed the people who would have seen it first would have been them. Right? They spent their whole life studying it. Their whole life's in His Word. Their whole life's looking for these signs of who He is. He shows up and they don't see it at all. In fact, they go, we've got to kill this guy. Because they've fallen in love with the way, not the Creator of it. They were in love with God's logic, God's wisdom, God's brilliance, but not God. And so I really want to challenge you folks who are church people. I hope you're here because you're in love with God, not because you love this church. I have seen people who are more in love with their church, lowercase c, than they are with their God. They are more in love with the country club atmosphere it creates of I'm important here, I belong here, I know how this functions, I'm somebody of importance, people care what I say, there's ways things work. They're more in love with that than they are in God Almighty. Amen. They're in love with what's been created for them, not who created it. And this is why Jesus is so hard on that He has to be the top of your list. He's like, if you love your wife more than you love me, you don't love me. If you love your husband, your child, your wife, anybody, you name anyone, if you love them more than me, you're going to get it wrong. 
I've got to be at the top of the list. Amen. Look at Luke 18. In Luke 18, verse 10, you get just a taste of who these Pharisees are. It says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you that this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisees thanked God for the kind of people they were. <laughs> God, thank you for me. I'm just so glad there's people like me in this world. If only more people could be like me, this world would be a better place. Literally, the guys at church are like, thank you for making me like this and not like this person right here. Have you seen this person? What a mess. I'm so glad I'm not like them. Here's what's devastating about a statement like that, brothers and sisters. It's not that some of us won't look different. Right? Some of us are given more talent. Some of us are given more ability. Some of us use more effort with the talent and ability that we're given to get to different places. The problem with arrogance, though, is it means you're never in the presence of God. Amen. If you are constantly in the presence of the almighty and perfect God, guess what you never think? You never think you're awesome. Right? Being humble is not about you thinking you're terrible. It's about you realizing, even in everything that you're capable of, when I sit in His presence, I know I'm not Him. The more I'm around him, the more I realize he is so far beyond anything I could ever dream to be. And I realize as I walk this world, I am much more closer to all those people who are a mess than I am to him. So I told you, I actually love this place to feel like an AA meeting. Just a bunch of people who all admit, we're all addicts, we all got problems, we're all here to get help from the one person who can. Amen. There ain't no judgment here because we are all on the same path. We all got the same struggles. We all got the same problems to go through. But we know we can do it much better together and we can do it better if we fall on our knees and go to Him. Amen. But let's be real. That's not what everybody sees at church. A lot of people who aren't church, they'll tell you this is the Christian they run into. The one who's like, I oh, thank God I'm not like you. The problem with that person is their excellence has been built in themselves, not in God. I'll leave you with one last passage. I come to this one often, but it's the one that God always puts on my heart. It's in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus performs one of his first miracles. And what I want you to pay attention as we read this is, is how differently people respond to the miracle. This has not happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. 
Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they both began to sink. But when Simon Peter, listen to this, when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Here's what I want you to pay attention to. In this moment where, where Jesus displays this miracle of creation, everybody is caught up in amazement. Like if you don't know all the details, right, you catch fish at night back then. These are professional fishermen. They've, they've finished their work day. They've got nothing, right? Jesus cast out at the wrong time in the wrong direction, doing everything wrong, and all of a sudden we got more fish than anybody's ever seen in their entire lives. So many fish, we're sinking two professional fishing boats. Everybody's amazed because everybody realizes what's just happened. I can't explain. I can't explain it. And so while some are bewildered, some are like, this is so cool, there's one, though, who actually sees what's happening. Simon falls to his knees, and he doesn't talk about fish. He doesn't talk about power. He doesn't talk about amazement and wonder. He falls to his knees and he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. See, everybody else saw fish. Everybody else saw a miracle. What Peter saw was God standing right before me. Oh my goodness, I am standing in the presence of God Almighty. And if that's God, I know who I am. I'm a sinner. In that moment, he falls to his knees and he tells him, leave. I'm not worthy to be around you. <clears throat> this is why Simon was so powerfully used by God. Because while everybody else was seeing details, Simon saw the relationship. Like everybody else is caught up like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm a professional fisherman. I have so many fish, my boats are sinking. I got money. I'm set for days. This is the big landfall. This is amazing. My prayers have been answered. Right? Everybody's paying attention to what's been given, except for Peter. He stops looking at everything that's around him and realizes, who gave this to me? Who did this? That's the important thing. And God, that's what I pray for us. I pray we are those people that when we walk out each day, we are not looking at the blessings that pour down around us. I pray that every time we see a blessing, it pulls our eyes right back up to Him. You want to be different? You want to excel? You want greatness? You want awesome things in your life? Then stop chasing stuff and start chasing Him. It's the only way to get there. 
I want you people to start talking about Christ as we should, as someone we love, as someone we live with, as someone we go through things with, through someone we experience life with. I know so many Christians, when I talk to them about Jesus, do you know what I get? I get biblical facts. Who's Jesus? Son of God? Messiah, Savior, died on the cross, rose three days later, performed many miracles, taught the Word. They give me these facts, and I'm like, literally anybody could tell me that. In fact, I can find a bunch of non-believers who could tell me all those facts. I want you, the next time I talk to you about Christ, to start describing Him as if He's someone you actually know. Like, have you ever noticed if you ask someone about like their mom, they don't sit there and go, she's 5'11", brown hair, green eyes, went to this school, got this degree, works this job, she's a customer service representative. She has an IQ of this, a weight of this. No, you, you don't do that. I mean, besides getting hit, right? You sit down and you describe your mom. Oh, my mom's awesome. She's the sweetest lady ever. She's always been with me there, no matter how much I screw up. She's always got my back. That's how people talk about their moms. And what you realize about that person is, is even though you didn't learn any facts about them, you just heard the emotion, the love, the relationship that's there. You know they have something real. If I ever met somebody who started talking about their mom with facts, I'd be like, do you? Like, so you guys not talk? <laughs> not, not a good relationship? The way you describe Jesus shouldn't be the way you describe your favorite athletes. You should be talking about him in a way that only you could have experienced. I love Christ because when I was on a path that I thought was brilliant, he pulled me off of it and showed me a whole new way of life. Amen. He has continually amazed me on how stupid I am and how bad my plans are and how wonderful and amazing his are. And no matter many times I try to pull the wrong way, he's so patient with me and he pulls me back. And every single time I doubt him, he has proved to me he's got four, far more planned out for me than I could have ever dreamed of. We have got to have intimate relationship with God. That's where excellence comes from. It comes from the people like Moses in the tent of meeting, pouring their hearts out to him. It comes from the people who are not gravitating to God for what he can give them, but because of who he is. And so before we start talking about the details of how we will pursue excellence, we got to get this right. It's about him. It's about us knowing and loving Him. Heavenly Father, as we come before You, Lord, I just pray that each person in this room will encounter You like Moses encountered You in that tent, Lord. I pray, Lord, that people aren't in love with Your logic, Your wisdom, Your power, Your might. They're just in love with You. But they realize the greatest gift in this entire universe is not a single thing you could give us. It's you. Father, I pray that we will have a passion, a hunger, a deep desire 
to be in your presence. And I pray, Father, if there are people in this room who have only heard about you, who have only read about you, that, Father, today you would encounter them. That today, Father, you would open up their eyes so that they could see you. Father, that we get to call you, Father, is such an awesome gift. May we never take it for granted. We love you. We praise you. We serve you. All in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Gonna be up at the front. Brother James will be in the back. If there's anything that you feel like you need to pray about, you feel free to come forward. As always, if you don't feel comfortable coming up during service, you seek us out after. God has put this family together so that you know that you are not alone. Right? Let's all stand.
service today we have a, a quick meeting for fall fest so if you're interested in learning more about that please join us in the fellowship hall uh, and then remember you have an awesome and amazing father god Amen. and he has given you a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline and he's given you a mission let's go out these doors and go make disciples that love god love people and follow jesus Amen. so get to it i love you guys have a great week and i'll see you next sunday Amen.